You can be turning in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 31. Psalm 31. It's great to be together. It's great to uh, see you. It's great for us to get to be with you. We uh, are obviously very glad to be with Brian and Dessa and Jameson and Marshall and Cora and uh, glad to get to be here on Sunday. We don't we sneak out here as much as we can. We don't always get to sneak over a Sunday. So we're very glad to uh, be here on this Sunday. I bring you greetings from the New York Church and uh, Amen. We had an, had an interesting month. We don't normally have hurricanes in New York City, but uh, we certainly had one in New York and New Jersey. We live about 30 miles inland, so uh, at, at our area, the um, main issue were trees down and no power, and we were one of literally just about the only people we know who had power. And uh, ours came back on in the middle of the storm. We were down in our basement sleeping because the wind was howling and the big trees were blowing. And we did have one on our house that came down, but it didn't do much damage. But anyway, you know, about 11 o'clock at night, the, the lights had been off for four or five hours. And all of a sudden I looked up and I thought, the lights are on. This is awesome. And then I found out nobody had power. So like most of the disciples... Uh, we had 13 people in our house for a couple of weeks. It was awesome. Many of them were related to us, not all of them. But uh, it was, it was uh, you know, amen. It was interesting because the storm came on Monday and that Sunday we had sung Anchor for the Soul. And boy, the storm did come. But amen. Uh, but I do bring you greetings. And uh, also, you know, you this... Message prescription for the soul. What is that all about? Well, I have to tell you, this is not exactly a recycled message. It's an encore presentation. Because this is something I did four weeks ago today. It's part of a series. I appreciate Brian asking me to speak, but I'm like, I got to do something I've just done, uh, sort of time wise. And this was part of a series about the soul, but I decided it could stand alone. So if you don't think it does, and if you're a guest, somebody else will be up here next week if you don't like this, and it'll be better next week. But we've, we've been doing a series this fall, six weeks, on the, the soul. And it's been really exciting. It was uh, Steve Stevenson's idea. Thank you again uh, for the Stevensons. We were together in Houston many years ago, and we were... Without apology, glad to uh, get them with us again because we really needed them and they're doing great and they send their love to all of you who know them. But we've done this series on the soul. The first one was soul what? Like what is the soul? And that was the idea that our soul is really the core of our being. It's really who we are and it's the part of us that will last for eternity. And then we had soul wars. And that is the idea that the devil is doing battle against our soul. Peter says our own sinful desires are at war with our souls. And so we've got to fight it. Then we did soul wars. I'm, I just said that. Soul food. Yeah. We didn't have anything to eat, but we were fed about the importance of the word and prayer and each other and so forth. And then we had this message 
about prescription for the soul. And uh, we'll talk about what that means in just a minute. And then we closed out Awake My Soul about worship and responding to God. And then Anchor for the Soul last week about really being connected to God and obedient to God. So, but prescription for the soul. I mean, what is this all about? Do you know that in 2011, the number of prescriptions written and filled in the United States was 3,764,698,318. That's a lot of prescriptions. Why? Why are prescriptions written? Well, because of pain, because of problems, because of trouble. And the idea of this message is, what do we do when our souls are troubled? And so I've got three points, and we're going to have songs in the middle of them. And I I didn't say how much I appreciate the things that Brian said. It's interesting because now the tables are turned, and Brian is my hero. You know... uh, I have to say this. I grew up in what I would now call the Mainline Church of Christ. And my father was a very, very prominent person in the Mainline Church of Christ. So by the first 20 years of my life, everywhere I went, people would look at me and then say, you're Matt Craig's son. And then I had a few years of kind of being Larry Craig. And now for about the past 20 years, everywhere I go. Seminars, people look at my name tag, they look at my face and they say, you're Brian Craig's father. Yeah, it's awesome. Some guy recently asked me if I was Brian Craig's brother. And now that was really cool. I want to say, yeah, I'm his older brother, but I just had to, you know, anyway, amen. But. okay, the prescription for our soul, three points. We're going to sing a couple of songs uh, throughout this message. Number one, life is not fair. Number two, God is the answer. And number three, are you bitter or better? This is the context of prescription for the soul. Okay, life is not fair. That's not a very upbeat point, is it? When I was growing up, my father had a lot of sayings. And you know, some of you may remember... As kids, things your parents said to you that you said in your mind, maybe not verbally, but in your mind, when I grow up, I will never say that to my child. My father would go through the house every morning, waking us up, saying, time to rise and shine. Oh, my goodness. I was not a morning person. I just wanted to throw my shoe at the door or time to rise and shine. That was the most horrible way to be awakened. And Brian will attest, I never said that to our children in the morning. Now, my father had another saying, you know, when we'd be grumbling or complaining about stuff and he'd say, well, you know, life is not fair. I didn't like that statement, but I think I probably said it to my own children a time or two. Life is not fair. 
We've sung a couple of songs this morning that talked about the life we anticipate in heaven. That's a good life. Now, this is a good life, but it's not always a fair life. And as you look at the scripture and as we think about our own lives, we have to recognize you can be committed to God with everything you are. You can love God, as Jesus said, with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. You can be completely dedicated to God without question, without faltering, and still have some trouble in your life. Because that's just the way life is. Good people have anguished souls sometime. As we planned this series, we looked up on... BibleGateway.com, all the passages about the soul, and there were like about 160-something passages about the soul. And what was very amazing is many of them were times when people like David in this psalm was in distress in his soul. Good people have anguished souls sometimes. When you look at this psalm, Psalm 31... In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. When David accepted the anointing From God through Samuel to be king. You got to realize things got way worse before they got better. He became an outlaw. He married the king's daughter, but then King Saul tried to kill him. There were times when you read in the Psalms where David says, like here, I was in anguish of soul. Life is not fair. Stuff's going to happen. It's great to say. I'm not really a pessimist. I'm generally kind of a glass half full person, but I've lived long enough to know stuff happens in life. It's great to see a lot of young people here. Let me encourage you by saying there's going to be some bad stuff happen in your life. But it's true. It's true in all of our lives. And as you talk to people, disciples, people who love God, and sometimes you hear the stories, like, wow, things happen in life. I remember at 11 years old, my mother died of cancer. She was 35 years old. I've been sick for 14 months, 11 operations in 14 months. That was a hard time. And life for our family got worse. I remember when I was 21 and my best friend drowned in a boating accident like that. James, the gym, that's the James for James, Brian, Craig. Stuff happens in life. In the years 
in the ministry, I've seen so many difficult things that people have gone through. And you look at it in the Bible, Job, anguish. You know, one time my paraphrase, Job says to God, could you just kind of go away and pay attention to somebody else for a few days? Because your eye on me is not doing me much good. One of the bitterness of soul, Hannah, wanted a child, a good woman. And she cries out to God in bitterness of soul. She's got a husband who needs a marriage retreat because he says to her, aren't I better to you than ten sons? And God heard her cry, but it was hard. I thought about years ago when we lived in Pueblo, Colorado, and I was in the ministry, and I, I got a call. I don't even remember who called me, but uh, I'm sure Brian may remember a, a, a great woman in the church named Amelie Higgins. Her husband was not a Christian. Her daughter, I think, had become a Christian and left, but she was, I don't know, maybe 30 years old, the daughter. I got a call. That Amelie was at the hospital because her daughter had been stabbed. And this wasn't some kind of barroom brawl. She was sitting in her car at an intersection and somebody got in the car and stabbed her. And I went to the hospital and there is the mom, Amelie and I, and we're in a little room while the doctors are trying to uh, operate and, and rescue her. And the doctor comes in and he says to the mom, I'm so very sorry. There was we did all that we could for. Her. And Amelie looked at me and said, "Oh, she wasn't a Christian." And what could I say? Some of you have experienced challenging things in life. Health things, family things, financial things, Things that made no sense, things that were not easy. Life's not fair, but secondly, God is the answer. That's what David saw in this psalm. Look at a couple of psalms. Uh, psalm 62. It's hard to say you have a favorite Bible passage and especially a favorite psalm, but because there's so much good stuff in the Bible. But this is a really good one. God is the answer. You know, sometimes we get confused about how things really are. I love the confusion of children sometimes because it's real funny. You know, we have we have nine grandchildren besides Brian's three. Both of our daughters have uh, three children each. And our one daughter lives about 10 minutes from us. And she has a little girl, Hannah, and a little boy. Boone, who were, and then another little boy, but uh, Hannah and Boone are now five and seven, but about a year ago they were, f I'm sorry, yeah, seven and five, when they were six and four. The dad was working late. He had a conference, and Boone wanted to know where dad was, and our daughter Holly said, well, he's in a meeting with some people from the Philippines. And Boone thought a moment and said, well, are they good people or bad people? And Holly thought that was a funny question. But the big sister, two years older, right away picked up on it and said, no, 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 Boone, not the Philistines, the Philippines. 
He's been listening in Kid's Kingdom in the Bible story. The Philistines are never good people. Why would his dad be with the Philistines? The Philippines, that's okay. It's not just little kids that get confused about things, though. The prescription that we try to fill for our souls to find comfort before we become Christians are often obviously things that are just flat out wrong. Or things that definitely don't work long term. Alcohol, drugs, illicit relationships, so many different things. But even after we become Christians, we can forget that the real comfort, the real answer for our souls still only comes from God. And we may not medicate anymore with drugs or alcohol or some of the other things, but it may come now to the pursuit of the world's dreams or the world's values or or maybe it's self-pitying or maybe it's a lot of things that cause us to forget what David says here in Psalm 62. Look at verse one. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Down in verse 5. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. That is both obviously positive and encouraging And it's also challenging to ask ourselves, do I really find comfort in God alone? I love the relationships that we have in the church. I love the friends that we get to have from all kinds of places and ages and races and backgrounds and the closeness that we share. But there's no substitute for God alone. I love the relationship I get to have with Mary Lou. We've been married 43 years and and we're still having a great time and like each other almost 98 percent of the time. But there's no substitute for God alone. Because God has the answers. We say that God is in control. Well, he really is. You know, somebody said one time, God never says, oh, wow, what do we do now? Look at Psalm 103. We'll ask the singers to start making their way up here, please. Psalm 103, David expresses his uh, appreciation and his confidence that God is the answer. Brian's written, as you know, just a beautiful song taken from the words of this psalm. It is David's declaration that God makes the difference. Even though life isn't fair. You know, the man was inspired to write, I have a peace or you can have a peace that nobody can understand. And we know that man was Paul and we know that he was in prison. So God doesn't offer us as Christians a little bubble of protection that nothing bad ever happens to us. He offers us something deeper. And I think even though David didn't understand the cross fully, 
he understood the fact that part of the comfort God gives is what he does about our sins. And we'll talk about that in a moment after we sing. But David says, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins. And he goes on and talks about some of the words that Brian put to music here, that that God is our solution for the distress and the anguish of our souls. Even Jesus was distressed in his soul to the point of death in the garden. And he went to God. And even in that is the understanding that Jesus, who walked this earth as a human being, understands the anguish that we feel about the utter unfairness of things that happen sometimes. So what are we saying so far? Life is not fair. However, God is the answer. And we praise him in our souls because of that. We're going to sing this song together before we continue. Let's sing. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, oh my inmost being. Praise his name, praise the Lord. And forget not all his benefits, O my soul. He forgives all of your sins. This you Praise 
Turn now, please, to Psalm 77. Psalm 77. So our souls, the core of our being, the part of us that is eternal, even when we serve God and close to God, or close to God, are sometimes troubled by the things that happen. Because life is not fair, but God is the answer. But as we think about these things today, are you bitter or better? You know, David expressed, or not David, Asaph expressed his anguish. You know, it is David. I'm, uh, in Psalm 77, he says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me when I was distressed. I sought the Lord at night. I stretched out untiring hands and my soul refused to be comforted. Now, the psalm doesn't end here. You can read the rest at home. It gets better. But right now, he's kind of bitter. He didn't stay that way, but that was where he was. I don't know you. A handful of you I know. And that's from 25 years ago with our dear friends Andy and Karina. Karina. I don't know you. But I know people who have been disciples for a while. Get tested. 
in their souls by the unfairness of things that happen. And some of you may be bitter. I'm not minimizing the seriousness of the things that may have happened to you. Sometimes things happen to us that are the consequences of somebody else's sin. But they're difficult and painful. But maybe down deep inside, you wonder if God really loves you. Or why he would have let the things happen to you that did happen to you. And difficult circumstances may have robbed you of your faith and trust in God. Our faith cannot depend on our circumstances. Our faith can be encouraged sometimes by our circumstances, but it's got to be deeper than our circumstances. Maybe you're bitter toward people. And if you're bitter toward people, it really means you're bitter toward God. And that bitterness will destroy your soul. And in a practical sense, what what do you do when your soul is troubled? Do you go to God as so many of the psalmists did and then really turn loose of it? Is your security really secure? Is there bitterness in your soul? And if so, you've got to confess it to God and talk it through with him and talk about it to somebody else and get grateful this Thanksgiving week. We always have more things to be grateful for and thankful for. And it's interesting that Paul told the Thessalonians it was God's will for us to give thanks in all circumstances. Chapter 5, verse 18. That's very challenging. It's God's will for us to repent of sin. It's God's will for us to get baptized. It's God's will for us to give thanks in all circumstances. And thankfulness does a number on bitterness in a good way. You see people in the Bible who became bitter, or you see people who became better through the challenges of their souls. Challenges to their souls. You know, one of my favorite stories growing up in the Old Testament was about the prophet Elijah and a woman whose name we don't even know. She's referred to by where she lived, the Shunammite woman. And if you want to read this story later, you're probably familiar with it. It's in 2 Kings chapter 4. But as Elisha traveled around from place to place preaching, they didn't have the Marriott, didn't have a Holiday Inn, didn't have a car he could sleep in the back of. And so this woman, who apparently was rather wealthy, said to her husband, let's build a room. Let's build a room on our house. That's Elijah's room, Elisha's room. And when he comes here, he can stay there. And so they did. I asked us a couple of days ago if we could build a room on top of their garage for when we get a little older and we can be with them more. And, oh, your weather's real nice here, too. So Elisha came and he stayed in that room regularly. And he asked the woman, 
What can I do for you? And she said, everything is fine. I don't need anything. And his servant said, you know, she doesn't have a child. So Elisha called her in and said, this time next year, you're going to have a child. And the son was born. And we don't know how old he was, but at some point, the day came when he got sick. Out in the field with his dad and his father sent him to the mother and she held him in her arms until he died. You talk about bitterness of soul. Again, I don't know you, but I've heard and I believe through what I've experienced in the lives of other people that losing a child is just about the most difficult kind of grief there is. We expect to lose our parents. They're older than we. And even spouses, but a child. She didn't tell her husband what had happened. She just sent message to him. I need to go talk to the man of God. And he sent message back to her. Is everything all right? And she said, yes. And she got on her donkey and she went riding to find Elisha. And they saw her coming at a distance. And this is where you need the King James translation to really, I think, get the impact of this. Because Elisha said to the servant, go meet her. Ask her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And he asked the questions and we sing the song that is the answer. What is it? It is well. The child was dead. But she believed somehow it was all going to be okay. She was not going to let bitterness overtake her soul. It is well. And many centuries later, in the 1870s, a man who knew that story wrote the song that we sing, It Is Well. And what happened in his life was his four-year-old child died. His son. Soon after that, the great Chicago fire destroyed everything he owned, all of his property. He was ruined financially. The next year, he sent his wife and four daughters on a boat to England to try to find a better life. And in the middle of the ocean, that boat sank and all four of his daughters lost their lives. And as he followed his wife to England on another boat, at about the place where tragedy had befallen that first ship and all of his daughters had perished, he wrote these words. When peace like a river attends my way or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well. With my soul. That's the singers to come back up and we're going to sing this song in a minute and then take communion together. As we tie all this together. The prescription for our souls. For the challenges that come into our lives. And they do come. I love this life. I do believe it's life to the full, as Jesus said. But it's not always the easiest life. And the randomness of how things happened. That's what I was so 
stirred by with this hurricane in New Jersey. I thought about where Jesus said, you know, God causes the rain to come on the just and the unjust. A couple of disciples lost their homes out of about 3,000. It was amazing that only that, that few. But there were challenges. Following Jesus sometimes causes trouble. That's what Jesus said. Paul said, we're going to be persecuted. Life isn't fair. But the answer is God. And we can't become bitter. We become better. We become more faithful. And the second verse of this song is really ultimately why we sing, It is well with my soul. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. It is well with my soul. We know something that Shunammite woman didn't know. When she said, it's well. We know that absolutely nothing, Paul says in Romans 8, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only thing that really matters in this life and especially in the next life, is where we stand with God, isn't it? And the prescription for our souls is a commitment to God, a comfort that only comes from God. And I think that's why Paul could say, look, I've got a peace that nobody understands. Yeah, they may kill me. But to live is Christ, because I've got a lot of things I want to do for him, and to die is gain, it's better. It's well with my soul. And we're going to sing this song, and then we're going to take communion together as we think particularly about the second verse, about the cross, and about the fact that our response is our souls are secure in the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ. It is well with our souls. Amen.